This is Primal Potential, and I am your host, Elizabeth Benton. Through education, motivation, and implementation, we will bridge the gap between knowing and doing so we can master fat loss naturally and help you reach your highest potential. Let's get started. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Primal Potential Podcast. I am Elizabeth Benton. And I am pretty darn thrilled to release today's episode. I am not going to beat around the bush. I get a chance to interview somebody that I have admired for a very long time. Someone whose work was a real game changer for me when I was transitioning from eating kind of the standard American diet to eating consistently primal, moving away from that on-again, off-again approach to healthy eating that I had been messing around with for most of my life. Today, you are going to hear me interview Mark Sisson. You might know of Mark from Primal Kitchen, that brand of food products that is Mark's, or from his incredible website and online community over at Mark's Daily Apple. He is also the author of The Primal Blueprint. He is a leader in the ancestral health space, if you will, Paleo Primal. The Primal Blueprint was one of the primary books that really convinced me to stop dabbling in healthy and then falling back on processed foods that left me feeling miserable and tired and fat and really commit in a way that makes me feel my best to eating aligned with primal principles. The primal blueprint and Mark's work in that really was a game changer for me. And he has a new book coming out in early October 2017. I was lucky enough to get my hands on a pre-publication copy and it is fantastic. Fantastic. You guys know I read a lot and it takes a lot for me to feel like a book is really great and practical and not just regurgitating the same information that's been around forever. I will say I was really surprised to see a keto book coming out from Mark Sisson because he's very much in the primal camp that eat lots of vegetables, tubers here and there, and he hasn't really been a keto voice in the space until now. And there's, as with everything, when it comes to keto, when it comes to something that gets a lot of results for a lot of people, too many people jump on the bandwagon and then try to sex it up with marketing hype or with keto junk food, right, to make people feel like they're getting away with something and they take it away from the real principles of health and the real principles of hormones and try to just make it sexier to sell more copies of their book or get more people to buy into their diet plan. And so because of that, there's just a lot of people doing keto wrong, you know, just doing keto with a lot of keto junk foods or a lot of processed foods or a lot of just moving away from the idea of whole foods, real food, not processed foods, not artificial sweeteners. So I was skeptical when I saw that Mark Sisson, somebody I respect, was doing a keto book. But man, he nailed it. He absolutely nailed it. And one of the things that I want to call out before we dive in, I really want to give the majority of this time to our conversation, to our interview, but there's one thing I want to point out you might notice in the interview. One of my favorite things he said as he was explaining that he's not always keto, he's almost always, almost exclusively primal, 
But he said, when I'm keto, I'm barely keto. And when I'm not, I'm barely not. And what that means, guys, if you think about that, when I'm keto, I'm barely keto. When I'm not, I'm barely not. He's freaking consistent all the time. There is not wide variability in the way that he eats. And I pointed out that distinction, right? I pointed out as we were talking, I said, you know, it's not like it's keto and then you go off that phase and you go back to standard American, you know, lots of sugar, lots of processed food. And he goes, well, yeah, of course. But I mean, who would do that? And I was like, "Um, a lot of people (laughs) right in my head. I'm like, a lot of people have a real struggle with consistency. And a lot of people haven't yet overcome that on or off mindset. A lot of people haven't found that degree of consistency. And that's what I really see a lot of my work as helping people create that consistency. I've certainly come so far personally with it and still consider myself a work in progress. And I love that he's so consistent But I'm definitely not in the camp of, well, yeah, but who would do that? Who would be strict keto and then off the rails? Like, unfortunately, a lot of people. So before we dive into this interview and a lot of the strategies, I want to take a minute and talk about the huge difference between having a nutrition strategy in mind, even a nutrition strategy you really believe in and you really want to adhere to, the difference between that and actually executing it. Because there is a big difference. And we do have to go away from this mentality of on or off because the magic, the results, the permanent change is in your ability to be consistent. And for that reason, I am taking a couple nights next week, going live instead of on the podcast, and doing a live masterclass on the mindset side of change because I think it's critical. And I want to do it live so I can be there to interact with you guys and answer your questions and address your challenges as we're on there live because it's great to have a nutrition strategy you're excited about, but if you're not really doing the work to be able to implement it consistently, What is the freaking point? So this is next week. It's going to be two different days and times, hopefully to accommodate as many people as possible. Uh, One is Tuesday, the 19th of September at 8 p.m. Eastern. The other is Wednesday, the 20th of September at 9 p.m. Eastern time. Space is limited, but uh, you can register at primalpotential.com forward slash be strong, B-E-S-T-R-O-N-G, be strong, primalpotential.com forward slash be strong for this live masterclass on the mindset side of change and motivation and consistency because it's not enough to really believe in a way of eating. You've got to do that mindset work. So I'm going to link that up over in the show notes, but I just wanted to bring that up. And I think you're going to really enjoy this interview. I strongly recommend the book, but we'll talk more about that in the interview. I'll see you guys on the other side. Mark, I cannot tell you how much it means to have you here on the Primal Potential podcast. As I have shared with my listeners before, your first book, The Primal Blueprint, was a absolute game changer in my life. And when I heard that you had a new book coming out, I was super pumped to get my hands on it. And I was thrilled to get an early copy. And I really think it's amazing. But I was kind of surprised that it was a keto book. And so I definitely want to know about your transition from 
keto or from primal to keto and how that impacted your physique, how it impacted your your health overall, and how it impacted your athletic performance, because I know that's been a big part of your process. But I am so excited to have you here to talk about your new book and to share so much of the awesome strategy that's within it with my listeners. So thank you so much for being here. And I'm excited to dive into the book and chat about the concepts with you. Thank you so much for having me and kudos to you for taking the information, using it appropriately and changing your life. I love to hear your story. Thank you. I'm, I struggled for most of my life, and that's what I tell my listeners now. It's not that we need to know so much more. It's that we need to do things with what we know and kind of learn along the way. And it seems to me that you kind of lived that out, though, in a very different way because you were always very athletic and very much in touch with health and longevity and diet. But, but it seems like you've made a bit of a transition of approach from the Primal Blueprint to this new book, The Keto Reset Diet. And, and like I said in the intro, I was surprised that you were taking a keto approach to things. And I would love to know how that came about for you. Well, you know, that's really interesting because I think life, you know, is a journey. There is evolution in our lives. Uh, and I guess you call it micro evolution, right? And um, my background was as an athlete and interested in health and fitness and trying to do everything right to be lean and strong and fit and productive. And, um, and I got so involved in that life that I lost sight of my original goal, which was to be healthy. So I became really fit. Mm-hmm. Um, I became you know, a top runner and a top triathlete. Uh, I looked great on the outside, but I was literally falling apart, literally killing myself on the inside. I had all sorts of maladies, you know, uh, irritable bowel syndrome, uh, loss of upper respiratory tract infections. Uh, I had, um, you know, heartburn. I had arthritis. It's like, really? You know, you're trying to be a healthy guy and you're, you're trying to, you know, be an athlete and you've got all this stuff that's tearing you down. And so when I retired from that um, phase of my life, I sought all the ways in which I could be that originally intended healthy person without having to make all those wicked sacrifices and train that hard and and consume copious amounts of of uh, carbohydrates to fuel all those miles. So that's got me that got me to the first phase, shall we say, the primal blueprint, which was pretty much looking at evolution and pretty much looking at genetic expression and seeing what sort of things we could do to flip on those genes that burn fat instead of store it, to flip on those genes that build muscle instead of tear it down, to flip on those genes that get rid of inflammation as opposed to causing inflammation. And it was really quite empowering to understand that a lot of the things we eat, a lot of the ways we choose to move or not move, the sun exposure we get, the the amount of sleep we get, all of these affect gene expression. And so I did a deep dive into what I call the primal blueprint. I did this 10 years of, of um, cutting out all the sugars and all of the processed foods and all the grains and kind of leaving myself a, a wonderful cornucopia of meat and fish, fowl, eggs, nuts, seeds, vegetables, a little bit of fruit, you know, some starchy tubers and things like that. And it was awesome. I, I regained my health. My IBS went away uh, pretty much when I gave up the grains. Uh, my arthritis went away, same thing, giving up, giving up the grains. Um, my body my body composition kind of normalized. I was no longer that skinny, emaciated runner. I was more of a kind of a well-muscled um, person who had access to the strength that I'd always kind of wanted. Um, a lot of cool things happened when I went primal. And I thought, well, that's if all 
if that's all there is for the rest of my life, I'm cool with that. I'm so cool with that. I know how to, I know how to live. I know how to be healthy. I know how to do all these things. Well, because I'd been almost obligatory low carb being on primal, just getting rid of the sugar and the carbs and the, you know, the pet, the pies, the pastas, the cakes, the candies, the cookies, the, all that stuff. It brings you into that realm of 100 to 120 grams of carbs a day. Mm-hmm. And that's and you're still eating lots of vegetables by the way doing that. But about and I and I had I'd had weeks, days or weeks at a time when I put my carbs kind of unintentionally below 50 grams a day. Um, just you know, just felt like eating fewer carbs and would skip a meal here or there and felt great and I thought, "Well, I'm in, I'm pretty much in ketosis right now." So I realized that I was really close to being in ketosis a lot of times because I was already low carb. So when I decided to look deeply into this whole keto lifestyle and and, and the benefits of keto, and because uh, I'd read a lot about them and I'd spent a little bit of time there, so I plunged in for two months, and the results were pretty compelling. Um, I lost a little bit more body fat, which you know if you've seen. There's a lot of naked pictures of me floating around yeah, the internet. You're already you know? pretty lean, yeah. <laughs> and I'm already pretty lean, but I lost a little bit more body fat. Um, I maintained the muscle. I had a little bit more energy. Um, I could go long periods of time without eating and not have it. Not only not have it not affect me, but actually feel better as a result of it. Um, the hunger that you know I pretty much tamed over the past decade uh, subsided even more. I never really found myself getting hungry at all. Um, I found I could thrive on fewer calories and fewer meals in a day. And some people might say, well, Jesus, is that a good thing? Because really, who wants to eat fewer calories? Who wants to eat less food? Well, if you want to eat less food, if you're not that hungry, and if, if because you're not that hungry, every single bite of food you taste is awesome, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's benefits to that. So as I, as I got deeply into this keto lifestyle, and then I started to look at some of the performance benefits as an endurance athlete, there are there are most of the research on keto has been done on on uh, in, on the endurance athletes now, uh, at least most of the recent research. Um, strength athletes improving their body composition, improving their strength while keto. Uh, you know, people who are in the, in businesses or are um, professions that require their attention to detail and their focus, uh, they're finding that they're much more their brains are much more wired to the task. Uh, and then there's the anti-aging benefits. There are the the health benefits just that just come from your body deciding to start to clean up the mess that is inside, the mess that we've created over the past several decades of, shall we say, inappropriate food choices, um, a thing we can talk about a little bit later called autophagy. And so all these things together create this amazing new, what I call, it's like next level primal. Mm-hmm. It's like once, once you're primal, if you stopped there and never did anything else, you'd be fine. But hey, what if there's more? It's almost like that infomercial. But wait, there's more, right? right? And, um, and, and for me, to go from primal to keto was such an easy transition. It was literally just about finding you know, 30 more grams of carbs in a day that I didn't have to eat. And for me, that was usually night carbs. Right. You know, that was usually the, 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 the noshing stuff, watching a little bit of TV at the end of the day or something like that. So it was easy for me to go from, from full primal to deep keto with zero adverse effects on my, uh, you know, on my energy levels, on my muscle mass, on my psyche, on my focus and concentration. It was, it was so easy that I thought, well, therein lies the stair step process to get to keto. 
Um, you got to reset your metabolism. You got to literally reboot your metabolism by going primal first and then earn the right, shall we say, right. <laughs> to go to go deep into keto. So that's how I got there. I, I'm sorry for the long-winded no, answer I'm, there. No, I'm grateful for it. And I I'm getting really excited over here because I have been primal for a few years now and kind of consider myself in the in the final stages from a body composition and a and a physical performance um, from a physical performance place of my journey where, you know, I still have some body fat I want to lose, but I've come so far. And so this idea that it's kind of the next level and taking your results with Primal and going further, because as I mentioned at, at the get-go, there's just a lot of people talking about keto the wrong way, um, you know, keto the uh, the fat bombs filled with, you know, all sorts yeah. of artificial sweeteners and things like that. One of the things that really grabbed my attention at the start of your book was something that you said that makes so much sense to me, but you're the first person I've heard really bring it into the light and give attention to it. And you said, building a fast metabolism as a health goal is completely flawed because accelerated metabolic function accelerates aging. And the reason this really kind of screamed out at me is because I was obese for most of my life. I was born a heavy baby. I was always a heavier kid than my siblings. Um, and I always thought, well, I just have a slow metabolism. And it wasn't until I got older and I really immersed myself in studying biochemistry and, and familiarized with my, myself with the concepts of reprogramming your genes is not that I had a slow metabolism. I just wasn't eating in a way to optimize my metabolism for fat burning. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on this idea that a fast metabolism is actually kind of the wrong metric. Because even when you were saying that when you were an endurance athlete, you were lean and you were performing well, but you were creating all these other problems. Sometimes I think we have this metric of leanness as the only objective or a fast metabolism. If we could just eat whatever we wanted and not gain weight, that would be the end goal. But it's really not at all. No, it's it's weird that so much of America, and, and I would suggest so much of the Western world, but let's just focus on Americans first, have as their sort of um, their filter in their brain, as they look at food, it goes like this. What's the most amount of food I can eat and not gain weight? Yes. You know, what can I get away with here and not gain weight? Uh, and and a lot of people, I was a runner and I was taking in six, 7,000 calories some days. I didn't gain weight. So I could, quote, get away with eating a lot of food. But I was also uh, completely inflamed. Uh, you know, on the inside, I had systemic inflammation. I had localized inflammation in terms of my joints. I had arthritis. I had tendonitis, which is a form of um, an inflammation in the tendons that's partly brought on by repetitive motion, but also brought on by diet. There's things in your diet that increase that amount of inflammation. Uh, so I could get away with eating a lot of food, but it was not serving me well. And, and, and I would use the term gluttony to, to describe sort of how I looked at life. Um, and I know that you know a bunch of people. Uh, you find them in the gym all the time. You find them at the starting line of a 10K. Hey, why do you run so much? Why are you on the treadmill every day? I, that's, that's crazy. You're just doing a lot of work there. Why do you do that? Uh, and the answer is typically because I like to eat. Right. Mm -hmm. I was like, seriously, dude? <laughs> you, you know, you're putting yourself through all that misery, all that sweating and struggling and suffering so you can, quote, earn a couple of more bites of something you probably shouldn't eat in the first place. Right. Do you realize how – I mean that's that's like the new definition of insanity. It right. used to be, you know, doing the same thing over and over again and not not getting results. But now I think it's like 
um, this notion that that uh, you know we should be we should be exercising so much just to earn the right to eat a couple more bites of something, some treat or something. Right. Um, and I, you know, I look, I identify with that because that was me too. I didn't run because I love to eat. I actually ran because I, I, I love to compete. But I sure like to eat. I mean, that wasn't that was it was part of the equation. Well, when you consume a lot of food. You know, you're creating a hormonal experience in your body, uh, and and uh, Barry Sears, who was the original creator of the the Zone Diet, which was popular about 20 years ago, maybe 30 years ago. Um, you know, he had a he had a comment that I just love to kind of requote, and that is, "Every bite of food you eat is a hormonal experience." Yeah. You know, we have insulin, we have leptin, ghrelin, glucagon, we've got um, epinephrine, norepinephrine, uh, we've got testosterone, estrogen progesterone, we got all these, you know, t- thyroid hormone, all these things circulating in the body that talk to each other uh, based on the signals they get from our environment. And when you eat food, you're changing the internal environment of the body and you're causing certain signaling to take place. And in the case of the standard American diet, much of that signaling is saying, uh, okay, we're going to start, we're going to be getting a lot of carbohydrate. And so in order to deal with that overload of carbohydrate, since we can't store much of it in the muscles or the liver, we're either going to store it as fat, um, and that's, uh, you know, that's a convenient way for the body to get rid of excess carbohydrate is to store it as fat, uh, or we can try to upregulate our metabolism and burn it faster through some form of thermogenesis. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that, you know, every time you upregulate, you, I like to use a, the analogy of a car. You know, if you have a a sports car and it engines the the engine revs at you know 3500 rpms uh, when it's idling that car is not going to last long right. versus that car that idles at you know 1675 rpms right. you know right. and uh, just cruises along well the 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 not just the human body but every every living body on earth every animal has this um, this governor on it that regulates the amount of energy that it puts out and based on evolution, we look at energy conservation as something that's great for the body. The body wants to conserve energy. It does not want to squander energy. But if you provide an overload of energy to the body, if you overfuel the body, the body has to find ways to dispose of it, right. either through, like I say, either through storing it in fat cells, which is the most common way we do it, uh, or through increasing the, the metabolic rate to burn fat burn it off at a higher rate, but that's a very ineffective, inefficient process that throws off a lot of, of free radical damage. Uh, you know, we would almost call that nuclear fallout in the body, uh, which causes the potential for advanced aging. And in the event that you can't store it or burn it, then it just accumulates in the body. And that's what happens with a lot of people who have type 2 diabetes. There's so much glucose in the bloodstream from all the carbohydrates they're eating at every meal that that glucose accumulates and starts to bind with proteins uh, and other molecules, but largely with proteins, and create advanced glycated end products, which then can clog up the capillaries and and cause those circulatory issues that are so common with with uh, diabetics, uh, or you know loss of vision, which is so common with diabetics, um, all because you're you're basically sending your your body um, this, the the types of signals that it's going to be getting a lot of this uh, carbohydrate, and when it can't store it and it gets overwhelmed. It starts to get um, resistant to the to the signals that insulin has, and all of this can be fixed by changing how you eat. It's just 
um, it's almost too simple for the medical profession to to glom onto at this point. Right. Not not profitable enough to. <laughs> right. For them. Right. One of the things that you talk about is glucose or sugar being a dirty fuel, which is really fascinating, especially for the people who have been told and really bought into, with good intentions, the idea that the oats, the wheat, they're so good for them. But you draw this distinction between the way fat burns in the body and the way glucose or sugar burns in the body. And I've often shared the analogy of of glucose being like gasoline on a fire because it burns really fast and hot and then it fizzles out quickly. But you kind of take that to the next level related to something you just alluded to in terms of it uh, burning dirty and producing a lot of free radicals and then not only accelerating aging, but also creating a lot of inflammation in the body, which makes fat loss that much more difficult. Exactly. It's a, it's a kind of a vicious cycle there. But, um, you, you know, if you want to use the campfire analogy, um, if you could throw, if you could get a nice fire started and then throw on a nice big oak, dry oak log, it's going to burn for a long time and provide a continuous amount of heat. Uh, you won't have to stoke the fire you know, every couple of, every 15 or 20 minutes, it'll burn for hours if you want. Uh, and that's the analogy we use to becoming fat adapted. When you become fat adapted, your body has this access to your stored body fat, which is, which is still appreciable on everyone, whether you're 150 pounds overweight or whether you have a 7% body fat, you still have enough fat on you to perform uh, pretty extraordinary feats for long periods of time without ever having to eat another meal. So you have this amazing fuel that was designed by evolution to be readily available in the event of a, uh, a lack of access to food in real time. Uh, that's the fat burning sort of analogy. The, the carbohydrate slash glucose glycogen analogy would be, yeah, you've got a, a, a campfire that you started and you're trying to uh, stoke it every every 10 or 15 minutes with new fresh pieces of twigs and tinder and um, and little sticks and things like that that are going to burn and oh they're going to produce a hot flame for a little while but there's a lot of uh, a lot of smoke with them yeah. uh, and then they fizzle out and when you are looking at um, how the body actually burns these fuels the body burns fat in these awesome little powerhouse cells or mini micros you know they're, they're called um, Mitochondria. mitochondria. Yeah. So the mitochondria are the powerhouses of the cell. And um, they are uh, prevalent in just about every cell that needs to produce energy. So they're uh, not except red blood cells, but they're in, you know, striated muscle and cardiac muscle and the brain cells. And these mitochondria uh, are where the body is able to burn fat and do it in a way, in a way that uses oxygen to, to combust the fat and does not throw off a lot of. Um, of, of free radicals, of, of reactive oxygen species, shall we say. Now, glucose can burn in the mitochondria at some point, but it primarily burns in the exterior of, uh, or outside the mitochondria, but within the cell, in the cytosol of the cell. It doesn't require um, all of the metabolic machinery that fat burning does. So it's very easy in some regards to burn sugar. Um, and a lot of people who are uh, you know, have become dependent on carbohydrates for most of their lives, get so good at burning sugar and so bad at burning fat that the body says, well, we're not burning much fat, so we don't really don't need to build much mitochondria. That doesn't make mm. sense. Why would we need to do that? And we can burn a lot of this glucose um, in, in the cytosol, in the regular fluid part of the cell, 
and create some energy. So let's just do that. And so people lose, they literally lose their their birthright, their factory setting, if you will, to burn fat efficiently because they've so overwhelmed their bodies with a regular feeding of a carbohydrate-based meal. Now, conversely, if you if you do what we try to do in the keto strategy, which is to um, remove that glucose, remove the carbohydrates, which are which are almost invariably all converted into glucose, remove that sort of fuel, and kind of force the body to adapt back to its original factory setting, to force the body to adapt back to getting lots of energy from fat, whether that fat comes off a plate at a mealtime or whether you skip a meal and that fat comes off your body, which is really the intention um, over the long term for people who want to uh, be keto and lose weight. It's really t- training yourself to to get your meal off your thighs or your mm-hmm. butt or your belly or whatever. Uh, and we do that by by slowly, gradually withdrawing the carbohydrates. So the body, again, we're talking about genetic signaling. So the genes are given signals that say, okay, we have to build more mitochondria. And all those mitochondria that we build, they have to work better. They have to be more, become more efficient. So we have to become really good at burning fat. Now, where do ketones come into this whole equation? What is this whole thing, keto? Well, ketones are kind of a byproduct of fat metabolism. The liver, in the absence of glucose, the liver will go, all right, we don't have much glucose. We need to find a fuel for the muscles and the brain. So we will take some of the fat out of storage. We will convert it into, some of it will go to, as triglycerides, and some of it will be converted to uh, ketone bodies, uh, the, the most prevalent of which is beta-hydroxybutyrate. But we have acetoacetate and, and acetone would be the other two. But BHB, beta-hydroxybutyrate, is kind of the, the operative one that we're talking about here. And the body has developed these amazing uh, mechanisms, uh, I call it metabolic machinery, to burn uh, ketones at a very efficient rate and then to become so good at burning ketones that the body doesn't need that much in the way of glucose ever again. Uh, and you get to the point where you can, you can literally eliminate all carbs from your diet. I'm not recommending you do that, but it's possible. You could live without carbs for the rest of your life and live very well uh, based on just healthy fats uh, and clean proteins and then leaving it up to your body to manufacture ketones to fuel the brain. And by the way, the body will also manufacture its own glucose from the raw materials that you provide it. Um, in many cases, the, when you take a triglyceride molecule and you strip off the three fatty acids and go burn those as fat, the glycerol is left and that can become a substrate to make glucose. So you have the raw materials in your body to make all these things. It's a very efficient system if you give it the chance. And that's what we're trying to do. So the, 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 the main thing we're trying to achieve with a keto reset is metabolic flexibility. We want to be able to burn fats when we have them available and when there's no other food around or when we choose not to eat or when we choose to eat in a compressed eating window or when we choose to go a day without eating because we're trying to fast. Um, we want to be able to ha- uh, burn fats efficiently. We want to be able to burn uh, glucose more efficiently without so much of the uh, reactive oxygen species. And I think that the, the, the prevalence of more mitochondria uh, would address that as well. Um, and I think it's important for people to keep in mind that the way we screw this up, we don't allow our body to build this machinery when we keep pumping it full of the carbs and the sugar because we're teaching our body what fuel to burn based on what we provide it with. That's exactly right. It goes back to, you know, every bite of food is a hormonal experience and the hormones are signals that are telling your body, uh, ultimately telling the genes what to do. And, and it's a great, elegant system, 
But if, if all the information you ever get it, get to it is, well, we're going to be consuming a lot of carbs uh, because the government says we need to, right. uh, you know, or because every, every food store in the country has a prevalence of high-carb foods because they're cheap and they're easy to store and they taste great in some cases. Uh, and so people get caught up in that, in that paradigm of, um, you know, well, I need, to, I, I need a lot of carbs in my diet because I've been a carb eater my whole life. And that's one of the problems that people encounter when they, they try to go keto all in. They read a book on keto and they say, oh, well, I've been having 400 grams of carbs a day my whole life. I'm going to go full keto right now and drop it down to 20 grams of carbs a day. Well, that's such a shock to the body, a body that has been expecting you to feed it every couple of hours for day for for, for decades. Mm -hmm. And now you're shifting around and saying, no, we're just going to we're not going to give you any glucose. We're just going to completely withhold it. And, um, you know, maybe you'll get through this two week transition. Um, maybe you won't. Um, and by say maybe you won't, it's not like you're going to die. It's just that you'll you'll give you'll up quit. because yeah, right. you'll quit. And that's been been an issue with a lot of uh, people back going back as far as the Atkins days. You know, this this transition period, this induction period was so, so onerous. Uh, and I'm suggesting it doesn't have to be that way. I'm suggesting that if you stair step it down by going primal first and understanding how the body works and understanding that you that you first want to be fat adapted before you even go keto, uh, that it makes that transition not just easier, but just but seamless. One of the things you talk about, and you get really specific in the book with the initial kind of transition to primal and then where you go from there and you make it very, very clear, very easy to follow, you are very specific about the amounts of both protein and carbohydrate. And I want to talk for a second about the protein because this is where I see people screw up keto a lot. They understand that carbs need to be very low and that includes vegetables. I mean, just if you're in this keto phase, you don't have total liberties with even the vegetables, but the protein, a lot of people overdo the protein. And you right. talk about sticking in the range of a half a gram to 0.7 grams per pound of lean mass. And mm -hmm. yet oftentimes we see recommendations that are twice that or more. And I think especially like I'm a CrossFitter and I know when I talk to people about trying to work towards that level of protein, you know, a half a gram or so uh, per pound of lean mass versus total body weight, people fear that they're going to either be very hungry or they're going to burn muscle mass. And you being an athlete, I think you've got some good insight there on those protein needs for folks who are active. Right. Well, first of all, if you're a CrossFitter and you're active and you want to get 0.7 a day, go for it, you know. And so, you know, in your case, I suspect, um, you know, that's 100 grams a day, plus or minus. Yep. That's an appreciable amount of protein. Yeah. Jesus, I mean, that's, that's far more protein than, than you need for a couple of reasons. Number one, first of all, um, that, those numbers we give, they're a range. Um, we, we talk about the problem with too much protein. And, you know, some people are like, especially the people in the, in the bodybuilding community or maybe some of the people in the CrossFit community – you know, they're getting in 200 grams of protein a day. Easy. And that's yep. like, and that's just like way, way, way beyond what you need, number one. Way beyond what you need. It's more than twice what you need. Number two, um, excess protein can have an insulinogenic effect on the body. It, um, while where we know that carbohydrates, glucose, raises insulin, um, protein can raise insulin too. And insulin is what cuts off ketosis. So if you want to stay in ketosis, and we're suggesting that you stay in ketosis for six weeks at the end of the book here, if you really want to 
do the, you know, do the program to its fullest extent. Um, and I'm going to take a little aside here and say that's what we recommend, six weeks. And I, I would look at this as uh, an annual reset the way some people do an annual cleanse. If all you did was reset your metabolism by going keto for a couple of weeks or up to six weeks at a time, you would benefit from that for the rest of the year provided you remained relatively low carb. You know, you don't have to, I'm in what I call the keto zone. The keto zone for me is some days I'm keto, some days I'm not. But the days I'm keto, I'm barely keto. And the days I'm not, I'm barely not. That is it's such not, an important distinction because I think some people think, oh, six weeks and then the rest of the year I can just eat what I want when I want. No, no, you can because it'll take you three weeks to undo the, to undo the, the, the positive changes because um, you got to, you know, you got to have slide off the rails pretty significantly because once you've built the metabolic machinery you got to dig that in six weeks you can do a tremendous amount of work building this metabolic machinery that machinery doesn't go away unless over time you revert back to the other signals which say well you don't need to keep that machinery you know because you're not burning fat much you're providing so much carbohydrate all the time we we're, we're busy just trying to burn off the carbs and store the carbs and and dispose of them however we can because excess carbs are are, are toxic to the body. Excess glucose is toxic to the body. So, you know, once you've built the metabolic machinery, it's there as long as you use that me metabolic machinery. And now how you use it could be, you know, you just, you go a little bit out of keto instead of going to 30 or 40 or 50 grams of carbs a day, you go up to 100, 110, 120. But that's like, that's a, that is what I would consider what you should normally eat anyway when you're not keto. That's For like maintenance. A, for maintenance, that's right. that's great, and and as long as you're doing, you know, the um, a couple of hard workouts a week and exhausting your uh, glycogen or you know dipping into your your muscle glycogen in those hard workouts, uh, as long as you're staying active most of the time, all that metabolic machinery stays in place. Sure, it's it's only when you say, well, I get the rest of the year to cruise. I did my one cleanse. I'm gonna, but I mean, who does that really, Elizabeth? I mean, who, you know, who who does all that work and then completely slides off the rail for the rest of the year? Except the, except people who are who are getting ready for their wedding. I right, guess right. The foundation is primal, and that's what I love that you begin with. You have people start and really take the time to make that commitment to a way of eating that is a lifestyle, not a yes. short-term diet. And then you have these phases of this keto reset that is more intense and extreme. But I think a lot of people fear a couple of things. One, they fear missing out on things they love. And two, they fear being hungry. And I know for me, when I was very carb-dependent and very obese... I thought that lean people just were motivated and highly disciplined and just suffered through the hunger and were miserable all the time, but they just had that as their habit, and I didn't. I did not know that it was possible at that time in my life to truly not be hungry, to have energy all day, to feel energized through my workouts, and to have mood stability. I didn't know that was possible. And yeah. I'd love to know what, you know, from the mental, emotional side of things, energy, hunger, cravings, what have you seen for folks when they're doing this keto reset and how they feel? Well, obviously, people feel great. Um, that's kind of, that's the intent is to, how do you feel? It really is. I mean, I, I wouldn't do any of this if I didn't feel better. I wouldn't endure some sort of short-term pain um, if I didn't know that I was going to feel better all the time. Uh, you know, on the back end, and there's no short-term short -term pain here. Um, it's it's a pretty 
um, you know, it's a pretty smooth pathway to get to keto. Yeah. But the biggest, um, like, like the biggest testimonial I used to get with the Primal Blueprint is, uh, yeah, you know, I lost 50 pounds or I lost 75 pounds or 125 pounds or yeah, my, my diabetes went away or yeah, my polycystic ovarian syndrome cleared up. But you know what? I, f- I, I feel like I can do this for the rest of my life. And mm-hmm. that's, that's what makes me feel the best. Yeah. And I thought, well, that's, that's an amazing testimonial. Now with, with keto, um, all that and more, but the more becomes, um, hunger no longer runs my life. Yeah. I no longer am dictated by hunger because even when I was primal, yeah, I get hungry because I was eating three meals a day. And but now um, I don't feel like I need to eat three meals a day. In fact, I feel better. So, and this isn't everybody, but but a lot of people who do keto, and and I'm one of them. I eat in a compressed eating window, so I get up in the morning, I have a cup of coffee, and that's it until one o'clock in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. And I do a, a morning's worth of work. I do a workout, a hard workout, fasted. I don't eat after my workout. I come home. I get some more work done, and I eat at 1 o'clock in the afternoon. And then I might have a snack later on in the day, but it might be a little bit of cheese or a handful of nuts or something like that. And then I have a meal uh, at dinner time. And, but the main thing is I wake up, and I have, I'm not hungry when I wake up. And for the longest time, in the, even in the Primal Blueprint, even before Keto Reset came along, um, I would tell people, look, if you're not hungry, why eat? Right. You know, why are you going to force yourself to eat? Oh, because breakfast is the most important meal of the day. Well, I got a clue for you. It's not, at least not the traditional, you know, 8 a.m. breakfast. Right. Um, you know, I, anytime you break fast, I suppose it's the most important meal of the day, but I, I break fast at one o'clock in the afternoon. Um, I have a friend, uh, you know, uh, in, in this industry, Todd, who eats one meal a day. He's been keto for like seven years and um, he eats one meal a day. Because he's not hungry and he's a businessman. He runs a successful business. He works out. He does all this cool stuff. He maintains lean body but lots of you know good muscle mass, good, great energy. And, um, and he found a way that uh, works best for him, which is eating one meal a day. And I, and I kind of queried him one day and I said, Todd, well, what does that look like? He said, well, he said, well, I have to be mindful of what I eat at dinner. And I go, well, of course you have to be mindful because you don't want to eat too much, right? And he goes, no, I have to be mindful that I eat enough mm. because, I, because hunger no longer runs my life. And it's such a – I mean that's the ultimate empowerment in modern society, I think, is that when you are no longer driven by, by, by the thought of what's the next meal look like. Right. It's freedom. You know? Yeah, it's, it's freedom. Mind. And yet, And yet, you know, every bite of food I eat – provide satisfaction to me. I don't put anything in my mouth that doesn't taste absolutely fabulous. Yeah. Right? So I'm I enjoy every bite of food I eat, but I also have gotten to the point in my life and it's a skill level when I can somebody can give me a piece of cheesecake and I can go, "You know what? I'm going to have a bite. Oh, I'll have two bites. Oh, I'll have three bites and then stop at three bites." Mm-hmm. Three bites for me is a serving of cheesecake. Yeah. Um it's just enough to give me the the, the, the sensation, the mouthfeel, the taste the pleasurable, you know, the gustatory pleasure of it. But then I don't need to finish the entire slice just because that's what I was served. Right. Like who, who, who dictated what a serving size of cheesecake was in the first place? Jeez, if you look at Cheesecake Factory, it's like 1,400 calories worth of right. cheesecake. And yet people go in and go, well, it's a serving, so it must be okay to eat the whole thing. Yep. That's what they brought and out, so that's what that's I'm That's what eating. they brought out, yeah. You know, it's like, um, you know, you're staying at home watching a movie and you have a, a one and a half ounce 
bag of potato chips or you have a 16-ounce bag of potato chips. Right. For the average person, they're both one serving. Right, because it's one bag in your hand. It's right? <laughs> one bag in your hand. So, so this ability to understand how hunger rules your life and how hunger um, doesn't need to be such a, a, a driving force. And, and I love the fact that you, because, I, because this has been my understanding, that, that obese people um, have one of the toughest things they have to, to deal with is, is de- deprivation, is hunger. Mm-hmm. Because the, the way they've been eating, hunger is- rules an, them, yeah. It rules them, and, it's, and, it, and hunger, by the way, is an automatic result of how they've chosen to eat. Exactly. So it's bizarre that you would continually choose to eat a way that would make you hungry all the time. But I and think yet that's only, what a, now, diet. only now are people explaining that because all, that it, for, for most of my life growing up, it was just eat less, move more. Yeah. But it was, you know, low fat. And so it would just create more hunger. And so to the freedom that comes from knowing I can eat in a way that eliminates my hunger, that eliminates my cravings, that increases my energy. It was when I understood that shift that I was able to lose the weight and keep it off. And it's now, you know, you said you don't eat anything you don't love. One of my mantras is I eat food I love that loves me back, right? Because yep. it's not only that I love the way it tastes, but I also love the way it makes me feel. Yep. And when I when I read through the keto reset diet and the different phases, I've been consistently primal and I also do intermittent fasting and do my workouts fasted. And I, I decided uh, as I was reading the book that I'm going to go into your your keto phase and just see what that does for my body, for my performance, for my workouts, and also for my inflammation. Because I I think just from being overweight for so long and being active and athletic, even at 350 plus pounds, I have the aches and pains and the knees and the shoulder and the this and the that. So I'm excited not only from a fat loss perspective, but from an inflammation perspective to see what this can do for me with with my physique, but also all of those other things. So I'd love to be selfish and ask you if you could give me one piece of advice or word of wisdom as I decide, all right, I've been primal, let's take it to that next level, as you called it. What from your experience yourself or with others would you say, make sure you do this or don't do this or keep this in mind? You know, it's um, interesting because no one's asked me that question yet. <laughs> um, but you know, what I would do is I would make I would make a big ass salad mm-hmm. um, an important integral part of your daily routine. Okay. Now, people go, well, wait a minute. You know, if I'm going keto, I can't have big salads, can I? You absolutely can if you make the right kind of salad. If you look at um, what's available to you in the form of um, all these uh, green, leafy greens, um, arugula, spinach, um, uh, bell peppers, green peppers, mm-hmm. yellow peppers, uh, radish, cucumber, you could make a large bowl of salad. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and by the way, it doesn't even have to be a large bowl because these days I find that because my appetite has been so mitigated, I eat, I have a medium-sized salad. Sure. Um, and then you put some protein on it. You put like uh, some some broiled chicken or some leftover steak or whatever from the night before, or maybe some tuna. Um, so you're going to put 20 grams of protein on it, maybe 25. Okay. And then you're going to douse it with a healthy salad dressing, <clears throat> Primal Kitchen salad dressings. Um, I love your avocado oil, by the way. Yeah. Like – Right. So, but, but that's one of the reasons I made the primal kitchen salad dressings is because I wanted a healthy dressing that I could put with reckless abandon on my salad. So now you've made a salad that has probably 25 grams of protein. Mm -hmm. Um, I doubt that it has 18 grams of carbs. 
okay. in all of the stuff that you put in it. Um, it's You can put some nuts on it too. I forgot. I add pine nuts to mine. And it's probably got 25 or 30 grams of, of fat. So you've yep. got a 500 calorie salad that is 100% keto, that is one that, that contains healthy fats, uh, that doesn't go overboard on the fats because we're not talking about 150 grams of fat a day. We're Right now we're talking about you know, 30, 30 grams of fat. Maybe if you put some avocado on it, um, that increases a little bit. But a very satisfying meal that's very healthy. In fact, if you took the meat off, any vegetarian or vegan would go, oh, yeah, that's a great, a great meal. Yeah. So um, and you're providing enough fiber. And that's one of the beauties of of the keto way of eating is that if you understand that, yes, you can have some vegetables, you can have some salad. And the fact that you coat it with a dressing makes it that much less available to the body to convert to glucose readily. The fact that it's got fiber in there not only makes it, again, have a lower glycemic index, but also um, makes it a a substrate available for your your gut biome because you want to have your healthy gut biome. You know, you want to maintain, you know, intestinal regularity and and the health of your gut biome. So that's kind of the one thing that I've gotten from this is that people tend to assume, well, if I'm keto, I'm going to just be eating a lot of meat and cheese. Mm-hmm. Oh no, there are there are lots of ways to go keto. Um, and by the way, there's lots of ways to do keto wrong. Yeah. A lot of them. There's also lots of ways to do keto right. And this comes down to you understanding what's involved and what your um, what your day looks like. Like because I because I skip breakfast, I can have a couple more carbs at night. Right, because I, you know, if I have a couple of carbs at night, um, that might turn off uh, the so-called ketosis machine. But by the time I wake up in the morning and I do a, a workout, a hard workout, I exhaust the glycogen that I that I filled up the night before, and I'm back to full keto right yeah. until until my meal and until so I'm I'm in what we call that keto zone. I did the work where I was always keto for a couple of months. And now I've built the metabolic machinery where I can be in a zone that's just over, just under, a lot under, maybe a little bit over, and still come back. And, you know, you, uh, people like Finney and Volick, who've done a lot of research in this area, used to say, oh, gosh, once you're out of ketosis, you know, it might take you four days to get – three days to get back in. I have not found that experience. I have found that the longer I stay keto, the easier it is to to be in a zone plus or minus and – and because the end result is there's no difference in how I feel. The energy level is the same. The thought processing is the same. Uh, the mood is the same. All the stuff stays the same whether I'm slightly in or slightly out. I'm in this zone, which allows me to flex. That's the metabolic flexibility that we're talking about. And I think you really nailed it when you said when you're keto, you're barely keto. And when you're not, you're barely not. Yeah. Like that to me is really is really the essence of it. And I would say – to all of my listeners, number one, get the book, The Keto Reset Diet. It's coming out in a couple of weeks, but it is totally worth it. And it is not just for folks who have a goal of fat loss, though I think it is a gold mine for folks with the goal of fat loss, but anti-aging, anti-inflammation, cognitive function, you name it, it covers absolutely everything. And I just think, you know, it is a powerful tool in your toolbox. I don't think we need more rules, but many of us do need more tools, more arrows in our quiver. So to everybody who can hear my voice, get this book. It is fantastic. I'll link it up in the show notes. But Mark, it's an amazing 
piece of work and it's helped me tremendously and I can't wait to see how I can use this to help me go to the next level and it's kind of great full circle moment because um, the Primal Blueprint helped me so much um, with my initial fat loss goals. So uh, to all the work that you do and the heart that you have for helping people improve their lives and their health, thank you so, so much. Well, thank you. And again, I, I really appreciate hearing stories like yours, uh, people who took the information and implied, Im, Im, implemented it in their lives, implied it as well, but yeah. implemented it in their lives um, and, and you know, took action and, and, um, and regained back control of their health. So I'd be really anxious to hear some updates from you you will hear them. <laughs> you yeah. will hear them. I am committing to this adjustment. I've got a daily blog uh, where I talk about my workouts and what I eat and my general music musings on fat loss and hormones and whatnot. So um, I will for sure update you. And I have to say, everybody who listens to my podcasts thinks that I'm like a Primal Kitchen brand ambassador, which I am not. But I <laughs> talk about the Primal Kitchen Chipotle lime mayo all the time. Cool. Appreciate <laughs> that, that too. My favorite. My favorite. So thank you so much. I love the book. I'll be buying a bunch more copies for my clients when it comes out. Um, so thanks for all you do. And thanks for being here today. Thanks for having me, Elizabeth. So good, guys, right? That was an absolute blast and such an honor to talk with Mark Sisson, somebody that I've admired for so long. And I really think the key that we kept coming back to isn't so much about keto and inflammation or keto and fat loss, but the key is consistency, right? Really building that foundation first and foremost, being consistent with that foundation, and then never widely varying in the way that you eat. And yes, that takes work. It absolutely positively takes work, but you do that work choice by choice. When he said, you know, when he's keto, he's barely keto. When he's not, he's barely not. The primal first, the gradual approach this is so major, guys. It is so significant that you first really establish consistency with Primal. And it's okay if you take baby steps to get there. But self-awareness is so key. Know where you're at. If you are not consistently eating Primal, that's where you begin. If you are consistent in that, then can you move to a keto phase without a wild fluctuation off of it? If you can't, don't. Or if you start to notice that mindset, dial back and go back to that baseline, that primal, consistent foundation. That is key. And the point of this, again, is training your body to prefer fat as fuel. Building your fat-burning cellular machinery. We can do that with our food choices. And as I shared in the podcast, I am going to be going through this keto phase and I will be sharing the process on the daily blog over at primalpotential.com. I have been blogging there daily since the beginning of the year. Um, Monday through Friday, you can see what I eat, how my workouts go, my general thoughts on life and fat loss and change and discipline and all of that stuff. So if you want to see what the protein and carb limitations here look like, you can follow that over on primalpotential.com. Although I'll say I am a boring eater. I love good food, but it doesn't have to be complex or fancy for me, especially if I'm cooking it. Just don't fall into the trap of, oh, keto, primal first, the foundation first. And do not overlook the mindset side of change. It is major. 
It is absolutely major. Now would be a great time to sign up for that free mindset masterclass, that motivation masterclass, the mindset side of change that I'm going to be doing live next week. You can choose from either the 19th of September or the 20th. Uh, The 19th is at 8 p.m. Eastern. The 20th is at 9 p.m. Eastern by going to primalpotential.com forward slash be strong, B-E. S-T-R-O-N-G, primalpotential.com forward slash be strong. It is free and it is important because we can fall in love with a dietary approach. But if we haven't done the mindset work to be consistent, it's not going to be worth the effort, right? Now, I want to wrap up because I would be a total jerk to not talk about Mark Sisson's product line. I mentioned his book, uh, The Primal Blueprint, and the new one, The Keto Reset Diet. Highly recommend them both. But he has a big line of products under the Primal Kitchen brand. And you guys have heard me talk about the Primal Kitchen Chipotle Lime Mayo a million times. I will tell you my three favorite products. I love the avocado oil. This is kind of an alternative to extra virgin olive oil or coconut oil. I love drizzling it over salad, mixing it up with some balsamic vinegar. So good. I don't usually cook with it. I will cook with grass-fed butter or coconut oil, um, but I love the flavor of this. It's great as a salad dressing. That is the Primal Kitchen avocado oil. If you get it on Amazon, a 17-ounce bottle, it's actually 16.9 ounces, is going to be anywhere from $14 to $20. So if you're getting it on Amazon, that 16.9 ounce bottle is going to cost you anywhere from $14 to $20. If you get it on Thrive Market, it's going to cost you $9.75. That is a major difference. Depending on where you find it on Amazon, you could pay half as much going through Thrive Market. And then, of course, you save an additional 25% on your first order if you go through the URL, thrivemarket.com forward slash Primal Potential. I already mentioned the Primal Kitchen Chipotle Lime Mayo. That is a huge favorite of mine. It's going to run you about $13 on Amazon, $7.45 on Thrive Market. If you get it at Whole Foods, typically costs about $9.99 there. And again, you save more if you go through my URL for Thrive Market, thrivemarket.com forward slash Primal Potential. I also really like the Primal Kitchen Sea Salt Macadamia Nut Bars. A box of six on Amazon is going to cost you about $17.28. A box of six on Thrive is going to cost you about $14.95. So you'll save a few bucks there. They also have salad dressings, which he mentions in the episode. I haven't tried any of them, but I already have them in my cart. I will be trying them. The only thing I've tried that I haven't liked is the plain avocado mayo. So not the chipotle lime mayo, but the avocado Here's the thing, though. I'm not a Mayo fan to begin with, so that might just be me. And there are some other bars that I also haven't tried, but I'd love to know if you try them what you think. So I think the best prices here for the Primal Kitchen products that I've seen are on Thrive Market. You do get an extra 25% off your first order and free shipping on your first order and a free 30-day membership if you go through thrivemarket.com forward slash Primal Potential. One thing I wanted to bring up about Thrive Market, since this is a newer thing and there's been lots of correspondence back and forth about it. Somebody asked me about their negative reviews. Somebody said, Thrive Market seems to have a lot of negative reviews. I hope you did your homework. And I did. And here's what I found. Almost all of the complaints are related to the fact that there's a membership fee. And the majority of the complaints are from people who didn't know there was a membership fee. Seems to me like this is all over their site, like on every page, basically, that there is a membership fee. Um, 
and it's an annual membership fee, you do get your first 30 days free when you go through thrivemarket.com forward slash primal potential. So you can try it out and see if the value is there for you. Another thing, their annual membership fee is less than Amazon's annual membership fee. And what I have found is products on Thrive Market are way less than on Amazon. So for me, it pays for itself. And when you spend uh, $49 or more, I believe it is on Thrive Market, you get free shipping. So to help you have it pay for itself, just wait to place an order until you're going to order $49 or more of products and and you're really in, in safe harbor there. So that is what I wanted to address there. Highly recommend Mark Sisson's new book, which comes out the beginning of October. And I will link that up everywhere, everywhere, everywhere on my site. Again, it is called The Keto Reset Diet. Definitely check it out and uh, let me know what you think. Follow my journey over on the blog at primalpotential.com. See you guys there. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of the Primal Potential Podcast, where my goal is not to inform you, but to transform you. And if you would like to receive free motivation and strategy and recipes, workouts, meal ideas every week right to your inbox, just text the word PRIMAL to the number 44222 or go to primalpotential.com slash join. It's a great way to get the tools, the strategies, and the practical implementation assistance that you need to create your own transformation between podcast episodes. Just text the word PRIMAL to the number 44222 or go to primalpotential.com slash join. See you there.